What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by one of my partners, Rakia Pippins. Rakia, welcome into podcast. Oh, man, Evan, thank you for having me. I've been waiting for my turn, and now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it is very easygoing, uh, and we're happy to have you here because we're talking about a topic that has not been covered yet on TMT Time, and it is quasi-related to technology, uh, and that is the area of consumer health, marketing, consumer products, which I understand, Rakia, is part of your specialty. It is. I mean, I like to say that I help people in this area. I view the fact that they come back as evidence that they feel that the advice that we're giving is both business-oriented and helps them get to consumers to products. I also am really excited to talk about this with you because I think there's been a growing bridge between consumer health products and technology, especially with digital health taking off. And there's so many lessons we could learn through issues that were had when people were focused on food and, and OTC drugs and personal care that are now really affecting technology companies that are entering the consumer health space. Right. So we have companies that obviously market or put out products and you said OTC. So that's like over-the-counter drugs or supplements and things. And then there's like this whole group of regulations or oversight from the government to make sure that it's safe or whatever it is or healthy or you're not mislabeling things. I understand um, that I read labels, but and other people read labels. And that's sort of like where you come in. You, you advise companies before or uh, hopefully before they go to market with these types of products. Yeah, because all of my clients are compliant all of the time, especially when yes. they come to us. Of course. <laughs> they, they follow the letter of the law to the T, dot the I's, exactly. And when anyone accuses them of not doing so, it's because they misunderstand the law. You right. You about that. Correct. Yes. That's um, right. But yeah, I spend a lot of time actually on both sides of that. I'm actually either advising clients who are very aware of the label requirements for certain products, but then enter into a new space where they can say more in more places than they're used to. And they kind of want to know where they can expand their strategy without getting sued or in trouble. And then on the other hand, I deal with a lot of companies that are, I think, would describe themselves as either technology companies or consumer product companies that haven't previously fallen into the health range where FDA has very stringent regulations about the types of phrases in terms you can use on the package and on the labeling or on a website when you're selling it through the website. And I kind of help them figure out how to navigate that space so that they're not curbing their First Amendment rights or their desire to get the people what they want and share information while also not causing their new business strategy to become the poster child of some form of FDA enforcement. I mean, I think what makes our group at the firm, I work with the several other consumer product attorneys that deal with regulated products by the EPA or the CPC, CPSC, is that we always think about it in like that branding kind of holistic way. You know, they're not block you from selling your product, but, you know, help you to avoid getting too much liability in the process of doing so. So there seems to be a, like a tension there that you're highlighting on like what you have to tell people what people want to know um, and then what companies are like, I guess, legally allowed to say. Yeah, that's spot on. And I think it's always helpful for me to share where my perspective comes on this. So I don't even know if I've told you this before, Evan, but my dad is in marketing 
And when I grew up, I always remember him saying, we hate the lawyers. They always say no. But I think it really taught me when entering in this space, the importance of not blocking the ability of companies trying to share what their makes their brand unique or what people want to know, but to figure out how to align it with whatever the business risk was. And my very first project at um, as a junior associate that introduced me to this area dealt with a hundred calorie packs and like a concern that a local DA had about Slackville, the amount of space in the package. And it this like blew my mind that there were rules about like how much space you could have, you know, to not Oh yeah, I've, I've seen like you buy something because I'm a very frequent Costco shopper. They sell those huge bags and sometimes you open it up and you're like, what? It's like, yeah, like a third of the bag. Exactly. So there are, that's why those rules are there to protect you. But a lot of people don't know that. And I was able to kind of see that there were these regulations, these technical regulations that would help um, either help consumers to know what's in their products or from the idea of a marketer could cause them to get tripped up in certain ways. And um, I found that when it came to food products, which I got introduced to through that, when you were dealing with health benefit claims, like whether something was a good source of a particular nutrient or could help your body in a particular way, there were all of these things that I knew to be true from what my parents told me or I read in books that people weren't saying on food labels. And it was because, as I became to know, there were rules based on the Nutrition Label and Education Act and on um, the Federal Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act about how you could share that information. And it's been really fun helping companies figure out what they can say on their labels versus what they can say in social media and other places so that the message isn't blocked, but they're not violating those FDA regulations. Oh, that's interesting. So like. A product can say one thing on the label of the product itself that's sold to the consumer, but then like in social media or in marketing or advertising, they can go with, they can say other things. Yes, it's kind of crazy. Like there are terms you can use. So one thing that FDA uh, regulates is what are called nutrient content claims on food labels, which are anything that characterizes the level of a nutrient in a product. And they have very specific terms that you can use to say how much of nutrients that they deem, you know, to be essential nutrients are in that product. So there are two barriers. One is whether the particular nutrient you're talking about is one that FDA recognized as an essential nutrient. And the second is how you can characterize what's in it. Um, one of the, my introductions to this area is when omega-3s became the new big thing. And oh, yeah, I take I take fish oil. Yeah, and what you'll notice yeah. is that the reason why you see more fish oil claims now is that FDA kind of navigated or shared the difference between what you could say on a dietary supplement label versus a conventional food, and that you couldn't like characterize it as saying like high in omega-3 or low in because omega-3s aren't recognized as essential nutrients by um, FDA. It's the same thing with like antioxidants. So you could speak about vitamins A, C, and E, which are recognized as essential nutrients by FDA. You can characterize the level of those antioxidants and products. But if you talk about other ones that people believe to be valuable, you can't say that on the label. You'd have to do that on um, maybe in social media and other places. And, you know, not to look, I'm a little real nerd about this. So what becomes really interesting is that um, both the FDA and the FTC kind of regulate the ways that you advertise or promote food products, as well as OTC drugs, cosmetics, and others. And they have this memorandum of understanding. And I always think it's funny. There's this um, policy statement on food advertising that shows 
that the FTC at the time they wrote it felt that some of the rules that FDA had were paternalistic. So they're like, look, generally we want them to be the same, but there are some instances where we believe you can say things that FDA says you can't say. And so we'll take a slightly different approach in looking at it in those in non-labeling um, materials. And I that that's kind of a lot of what I'll help some food companies do in navigating their promotional claims. So, that, I mean, there, like I said, there's like a lot of laws and regulations about this. So who decides, or is it a rulemaking process, like how to get a vitamin or a nutrient on the list of things that FDA says is okay? So like I take turmeric because it's a good <laughs> antioxidant. Like how do we, how do you get turmeric on the list of things that you can say more stuff on the bottle? Well, that's where the Institute of Medicine and NIH come into play. Like they kind of make recommendations, dietary recommendations that FDA then uses to identify something as being an essential nutrient that has a recommended daily intake, et cetera. So the good news is that's not quite all. There are people involved in health who are doing that. Um, The disconnect often can be that science, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in establishing these types of standards. And so we often will have instances, often maybe too strong, we can have instances where the regulations are delayed from science. And so one of the funny or interesting examples of that w- would have been the uh, issue with what the definition of healthy is according to FDA and how there's a time because when those regulations were created, they were based more on fat and sugar that a product like uh, Pop-Tarts, like strawberry Pop-Tarts are considered healthy based on the regs, the old regs, um, whereas something like salmon or nuts that we know now to be healthy or not because of their fat content. And it actually took the kind company to um, push back on FDA telling them that their labels were incorrect <laughs> for wow. um, the FDA to really, it's a few years ago, again, they ended up in, um, publishing a enforcement policy saying that they're kind of reevaluating the definition of healthy, acknowledging that there's some disconnect between the regulation and what maybe common um, dietary practices are known and recommended now. And um, I, I say this to say that while it is a good thing in some ways that there are medical professional, professionals and experts behind deciding what the recommendation should be, the amount of time it takes for them to go through that process to update the regulations, can cause a real disconnect between what can be said, technically be said on a label versus what we know to be true. I mean, to me, it's just good to hear that the government bureaucracy typically moves very slow, um, <laughs> but it's good to hear that that things are changing because I, I can remember like in the 80s and 90s, everything was like low fat diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that stuff was still just not good for you. Too much um, sugar in it or something yeah. like they just wasn't monitoring things like nuts like you bring up nuts like kind bars are mostly nuts and they're really good but nuts are high in fat content and so i could see them falling on the bad list back back in time so you. so a company comes to you and says we have this product or we're thinking about having this product and then you help them figure out how they can first sell it like label itself and then also work with the team in certain in terms of like their advertising and marketing campaigns you do both of these things yeah and i would say you know it's i don't like to toot my own horn um but i would say the the clients i worked with de- describe me more as a consigliere for them on describing letting them describe their strategies and me helping them to issue spot all of the particular the particular angles that can come into play 
So while my area of technical expertise, although I know, I guess we shouldn't call ourselves experts <laughs> as lawyers, but my technical area is on FDA regulatory compliance and FTC issues. I work with a team of colleagues at the firm that deal with distribution agreements, deal with privacy concerns, that deal with CPSC or EPA concerns, and then the litigation that can be triggered by the way that you're marketing products. And so when I'm looking or talking to them, we're thinking about it more holistically as opposed to just in the silo of FDA compliance or FTC compliance. And I think one of the reasons why our practice has taken off is that it's really the regulated um, product spaces that have expanded with new entrants in areas that are both instances where you have new players or new players that are willing to push the envelope with the agencies on what should be considered acceptable or not. And while you know initially I spoke to you know, how kind kind of pushed the envelope on the definition of healthy and um, the FDA has a, a food innovation strategy they're implementing now to help modernize their approach. We've seen it with companies like L'Oreal who wanted to push the envelope with respect to the claims that can be made for cosmetic and personal care product claims and the ways in which um, enforcement has changed, even though the, I think FDA would still take the position that what is a drug is a drug in their eyes. And then I think digital health is really an area where we're seeing a habit a lot, in, um, which, you know, while technically the definition of a medical device is broad enough to take in a lot of the products that we use on our, our wrists and our watches to help give us wellness advice. Um, the Congress passed the 21st Century Cures Act a few years ago, which excluded some of those devices. But there are others that um, would technically fall into the definition of medical device, but FDA is issuing enforcement guidance and other things to help um, limit their responsibility for regulating certain devices that people use to manage their health. And so we're I talking think about like wearables? Exactly, Sorry. wearables, yeah. exactly. Wearables, um, apps that help you to track certain information about yourself and have better lifestyles. And um, there are some carbats that make wellness devices kind of outside of the scope that would trigger regulatory uh, responsibilities with FDA. But as companies want to get more comprehensive and telling you about your heart health or aligning with diseases and stuff, they are falling into FDA's regulatory scheme. And we've been helping a lot of clients navigate that space. That's actually really interesting. So, and that is the technology angle of the TMT time. So thank you for Rakia for bringing that back. Uh, to, I tried. Uh, yeah, that's that's well done. So so we're talking like if we have like like an Apple Watch or something like a wearable. Um, the FDA could come in and regulate what they can say in terms of their sleep tracker, or their you know heart tracker that you're mentioning. And so you could, even though that's like not foods, you know, typical drugs or even over the counter, it's now falling in the, the expanded purview, if you will. Yeah, there are certain Apple Watches that are currently cleared as devices for FDA because of the types of health information that they're recording and provided to you. And the reason, I mean, it makes sense, right? At some level, when people are relying on a device in lieu of getting uh, true counsel from a healthcare practitioner, or they're using the information as part of like preventing disease or um, in, in some way mitigating uh, an ailment that they already have, you want to make sure that there are some more, there's a more rigorous standard of review on how accurate that is or that it's meeting certain regulatory standards. It's just yeah. that- at some level, if prior, especially prior to the 21st Century Cures Act, the definition of device, which basically means anything that uh, that's an apparatus of some form or device more that doesn't cause a chemical reaction that either 
prevents, treats, medicates, or cures disease or affects the structure or function of the body can be very broad term and would have taken even like your stepper that you're using <laughs> to yeah. tell you how much you're walking in some ways. And so um, it's been helpful to at least uh, carve out general wellness devices from the ones that FDA are prescribing requirements for, from ones that give you more significant health data that are used um, for, for you figuring out how to protect against disease. Yeah, so some of these devices like tell you your pulse ox, for example, which is, was a highly relevant data point in the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and that's why, go ahead, sorry. No, I'm saying that like, that's the type of thing I would hope the government is regulating. Absolutely. And you've seen what's interesting is it's not just FDA focused on it. You saw we've seen a lot of state AGs involved in this area. The New York state AG in particular a few years ago had a number of settlements that were dealing with companies making products that were measuring um, the sleep, the sleep um, performance or fetal heartbeats of children, you know, just really doing things that if if the company got it wrong could have significant health implications or serious adverse events in some way. And it's what I liked about those settlements. I don't want companies to get in trouble. I mean, unless they're really bad actors, I think as a human, you want to feel like the marketplace is being corrected. But what I thought was interesting about those AG actions is that they were also a reminder for a lot of companies that states have many federal food, drug, and cosmetic acts that are identical to the federal food Drug and Cosmetic Act and can give both state AGs and sometimes private litigants the ability to recover violations of those statutes, which is interesting because there's no private right of action for the Federal Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act. So it just it's a reminder of like all of the different ways that risk can come to you. So you mentioned cosmetics, too. I know I know I think you work in that area. So those are also regulated. These are like, you know, makeups and all kinds of stuff. Is there. Um, are there rules different for those or everything, anything that you're sort of putting on your body falls under this purview? So it's interesting. Um, yes, there are rules for cosmetics, although I think it's generally accepted that the pathway for getting cosmetics to the market is a lot simpler than it is for getting drugs to the market. I think where we're seeing a lot of tension in recent years from a marketing perspective is what people want to share about what cosmetics can do. And that's because the way that you determine whether something is a cosmetic or a drug when you're dealing with a topical product is largely dependent on what you say about what the intended use of the product is. So if the product is intended to affect the structure or function of the body and something like reducing wrinkles or creating cellular- Anti-aging. Anti-aging. FDA's position is those are drug products, right? Even though in the general nomenclature, we all think of them as personal care products and cosmetic products. And um, what we've seen is that people want to know more about how these products are affecting their skin or why they work, why they beautify or reduce the appearance of certain things. And companies want to share that information, but they're trying to figure out how to do it without triggering regulation by FDA as a drug product. And so you'll see like groups of warning letters sent out by FDA throughout a year, kind of reminding industry of their position on these claims. And you'll see little um, uh, approaches that people, marketers who have had FDA counsel use to try to avoid hitting certain terms. But I think the rubber is really going to hit the road soon as the push for being able to say things that are true 
really increases by industry and FDA has to choose what their enforcement priorities are going to be. All right. Well, let me ask you the, a broad question. What are you thinking about or what what areas are your clients thinking about or worried about right now? Um, or what what can we see down the, the pike to make sure people are taking and paying attention and, and taking sort of stock of where they are in the market? Wow, I think there are two areas. So if I was thinking in uh, personal care and I would say in consumer health, it's the global nature of the supply chain and the communities that they're serving. And so while there was a period where a lot of clients were very U.S. focused because not only because the risk of selling consumer products in the U.S. is higher given our federalist system and people are very litigious, um, but it was a growing market. In some ways, there's some clients who feel like it's a little saturated, so they're focused more on Asia, you know, and um, also figuring out implications of Brexit and things like that. And so um, we have instances where a global company is making decisions about marketing strategies from there and then trying to implement that strategy in the U.S. as well. And we have to kind of help clients navigate both thinking globally while also being aware of nuances in the global messaging that don't work in the U.S., um, and the other, I think, is um, dealing with the growing grain market and issues with importing products. Uh, like, I think as the supply chain continues to diversify and most manufacturers are, many manufacturers are not in the United States, there's a lot of reliance on documents representing the quality of products and actual consistent testing and auditing of products that can happen. And we've seen more and more instances of fraud by manufacturers. So companies are figuring out how to truly ensure the integrity of their products, especially when they're trying to import them. Um, a common issue that clients have now is products getting caught up at import at the border, either because of a labeling issue or a larger concern that an agency has, has expressed about factories from certain countries. And I see clients really trying to figure out how to work around that or integrate that into their long-term business plans. All right, Rakia, this has been awesome. Um, before I ask you my standard, what do you do outside of work type questions? Um, what do you pay attention to when you're out shopping for products? Are you reading the labels closely? Are you, are you in the supermarket watching someone pick something off the shelf saying, <clears throat> don't buy that? Like what, what's, what do you do when, when you're out in the market? Encouraging purchases of all of Arnold and Porter clients. Yeah. <laughs> Buy that. The Try this. They're keeping yeah. their lights on. Um, I love watching commercials and social media ads and just knowing what's going on behind them. I mean, I, it's really funny to, to see them and notice little things that either we've advised them to our clients to do or that I know competitors are doing in yeah. order to try to avoid a challenge. Like they've got good lawyers, that company. That's that was, they, a, that don't was have a, that. <laughs> yeah. they have terrible lawyers. They should hire me. Yeah. So that's what I'm that is what I'm doing. Um although I have to say I am a brand loyalist. So to be someone who's in marketing, I'm considered as my friends in marketing and my dad tells me the most difficult person to market to. Because once I find something that I like, I stick with it and it takes a referral from someone else that I trust to get me to switch. So oh. I don't know what that says. But. Yeah, <laughs> they're not targeting you. The they're marketers are not trying to reach you. They've, you you're out, outside their mindset. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, what are you doing? Like when you're not 
you know, being very critical about people's commercials and their social media marketing, what type of media are you consuming? Uh, video, books, or otherwise right now when you're not working? So I am, I have to admit, I'm kind of stuck in the 90s and 2000s with respects to music, so I'm not always the most up-to-date with that. Me, yeah, dude, that, that's yeah. same with me. So you All like right, the Super Bowl halftime the, show then, is what you're saying. Yeah, I am. Say that again. <laughs> you like the Super Bowl halftime show. I absolutely loved it. And it's me so too. funny to me seeing different people's responses is I realized the difference between people who loved it and people who were like, oh, it was okay outside of their age is whether they were looking at it as a performance versus an experience. Like I yeah. felt like it brought me back to my prime. Dude, I loved it. <laughs> That's great. I mean, well, yeah. age has a lot to do with that. I saw, so there's like memes going around the internet, obviously like if you like the halftime show, you know, you're, you're, you're in this generation and then no one knows what's going on because I thought yeah. it was awesome. I thought it's awesome. Oh, absolutely. And I related to that. I will say quickly, I recently attended an event with a close friend of mine and her daughter, and they had a cameo by Ludacris um, where he came and performed, Love which him. we loved. And there Love was Ludacris. college students behind us who were like, this is my mama's music. And we turned around and then he, they were clear that their mamas are young is how they describe it to us. But it was such a moment for me to realize that I am, I am truly what? 40, but you know, we'll let Dude, that go. He's still so cool. <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? Um, from a television perspective, I, I am the one who loves to binge a series in some yep. respects. I just started pieces of her, which I feel like oh, is just okay. I really like Ozark. Ozark yes. was good. Dark, very dark. I think I think it's for a dark. I don't usually do dark, but I like I like this season in particular. So yeah, yeah I agree. Dark, so. I agree. All right, Rakia, this has been awesome. I appreciate your time. Thank I'm you. Glad for we, I'm glad me. we finally got you on. No, it's been my pleasure, um, and I would hope you have me back at some point. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right. So, all right. Awesome. Thank you.